welcome to the latest episode of On The Couch. My name is Henry Jennings from Marcus Today and today I'm really lucky to be joined by David Tudorhope from Macquarie Telecom Group. So really, really honoured to get uh, David on the show here and really looking forward to a chat about what is happening with the cloud, what is happening with data centres, all the technology that is out there at the moment, all the changes that are going on out there. And of course many will be familiar with Macquarie Telecom and it's been uh, an absolute star performer on the stock exchange for many years. David uh, quit his banking job uh, some years ago, I think uh, age 25, uh, a fresh-faced 25-year-old, to found the company with his brother, and it has gone from strength to strength. So welcome, David. Delighted to have you on the show. Really looking forward to our chat and uh, and hoping that um, all our listeners get an awful lot out of it. I'm sure they will because it's, uh, it's a very interesting space, very interesting company as well. Thank you, Henry. Pleasure to be here. Um, just uh, before we start, of course, it is general advice only. So please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights in this podcast, of course. And uh, make sure that you do contact your financial advisor because this is general advice only. So, David, thank you very much for coming on. Tell us about Macquarie Telecom. Tell us the uh, the highlights, I guess, what the business does and uh, where you see yourself in the technology world at the moment. Yeah, well, thank you, Henry. Uh, so we started the business, uh, Aidan and I, originally... Uh, way back uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, as the name suggests, it was originally a telecom company. Uh, today, telecom's only around about a quarter of our business. Uh, we've, we've got three other business units that are equally important. A, a cloud services and government business unit that we report together and a data center business unit where we build and operate large data centers. Uh, so uh, it's, a, uh, it, it's very much a uh, cyber cloud and uh, uh, telecom company now. And that reflects the, the need to adapt and innovate. And uh, our company purpose, which really underlines where our differentiators are, is around making a difference in markets that are underserved and overcharged, which translates to a fanatical focus on customer experience and uh, how that plays out for customers. We've found to be very powerful because of the difference between us and what our competitors do in the markets we operate. So that's that's a, that Macquarie in a nutshell. Uh, and uh, yes, as you highlighted, uh, I originally started in banking, so it's uh, it's it's been a journey, but that's a long time ago, 30 years ago. So, so what made you, I mean, there you were, a 25-years-old, fresh-faced banker, what made you decide to start uh, Macquarie Telecom? What, what was that sort of kernel of the idea that uh, kicked you off? Yeah, well, look, I enjoyed my career in banking. Uh, it, it was uh, a time, though, where the telecom sector was deregulating. It was the front page of all the major papers for some months. So it wasn't an opportunity. It wasn't an opportunity that we discovered. It was kind of pretty evident. Um, but the insight I had from uh, when I sort of started talking to my banking clients about the uh, the world of telecom was that they were massively underserved. Um, Telstra was a monopoly. It called customer subscribers. There was a thing that probably no one remembers anymore back then called casualties of telecom, uh, casualties of Telstra and businesses have been driven out by the monopolist. And it was just there was just a crying need for customer experience. And that was very evident from the beginning. And the other thing that was really evident was that uh, the billing um, and reporting side was uh, uh, super important. Uh, and customers were not only being overcharged, but they actually had trouble tracking their spend because Telstra just gave them one line, please pay invoice. So 
into that market we charged. Um, it was a startup, uh, small business back then. Nowadays called Tech Startup. And uh, we started up literally one customer at a time with my brother Aidan. And we built it up for, through the 90s, uh, survived some pretty rough play by Telstra where they drove a lot of our, lot of our other competitors out of business through the use of the, of the legal and regulatory system and just their sheer weight. Uh, we fought through all of that, continued to grow the business, uh, self-funding uh, through to 99 when we floated the business. And uh, the, we've been floated, geez, now for 24 years. So it's a big, 23 bit years, so it's a bit of beginnings. And, uh, but we've, we've, we use those proceeds uh, to uh, grow the business in the world of data centers and cloud and cyber. So that really all was thanks to the benefit of uh, those, those shareholder funds. And uh, we've continued to grow organically right the way through. So do you still see, obviously, there's a massive opportunity in this space, but do you still see the same sorts of opportunities? Like, you know, Telstra's still that big gorilla out there in some respects. So that, that there must be similar opportunities that you saw back in uh, you know, the, the late 90s as there is now. Is, is that the case? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, but the telecom sector is still plagued by dis- disastrous customer service standards. Uh, the industry, industry spends a fortune on spin doctors to try to cover them up every six months when the stats come out. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the telco ombudsman uh, still gets uh, now tw- twice uh, the number of complaints that the banking ombudsman gets. So the telecom sector is twice as bad as the banking sector. So it's its own special place of its own. Um, and the industry does an excellent job of uh, keeping that story quiet. Uh, but into that, but the customers do experience it. And that's where we've differentiated so effectively. Uh, but we've identified in the cloud markets very similar. The large cloud companies just, well, they don't say there's no service. It's just DIY, do your own, do it yourself. Uh, so there's a big difference there as well. And the cybersecurity area is similar. Uh, there's a dearth of expertise and services and still a new thing. So, so that's your moat, really. And that's your, I guess, your big differentiation is, is customer is. service. Yes. It, you know, it appears from an outsider, I'm just a, a dumb ex-stockbroker, but it appears to an outsider that, um, you know, data centers become a bit kind of generic um, and, and one building with a bunch of servers and uh, a cooling system looks very much like another building, uh, another company's building. How do you differentiate yourself? Obviously, customer service is one of those ways, but are there other ways that you stand out and you make your offering special to your customers? Yeah, look, data centers is one of our four business uh, businesses, uh, and you're quite right. Um, when you compare the top-end data center companies, ourselves, NextDC, Airtrunk, Equinix, we are very similar with our physical data centers. We tend to buy similar sorts of equipment off the similar sorts of people with the same sort of architects designing them all. So there's a lot of similarities. Uh, ours are blue, so obviously superior. Um, the uh, There's a red. Uh, the uh, Having said that, though, um, there is what people don't tend to talk about as much is there is actually the bulk of the market is not the top end what they call tier three data centers, that is the bulk of the market is in fact, people who do computer rooms in their office, people who do little IT companies that do old data centers they've inherited or bought secondhand from someone, uh, that in fact is the bulk of the market. And while we often spend our time talking about one another, the reality is the difference between what all of us do and the rest of the market is huge. And uh, the, the differentiation there is dramatic. 
and it's particularly as power prices go up and people become more conscious of power consumption generally, uh, the combination of price rises and uh, power, uh, power focus means that uh, the days of the computer room in the office, the days of the old, of the, of the, of the lovely IT company running their little computer room at the back of the, uh, the shed on the, on the uh, side of a freeway somewhere is really becoming numbered. But that is still where a huge part of the market is. So it's transitioning. Certainly, you know, power prices, I'd imagine, are a, a big part of your uh, cost base. Just Can you give us a sense of how much uh, power prices have gone up? I know that when I open my own uh, power bill, it kind of, kind of go, whoa, uh, that's big. But from, from a business point of view, um, is there kind of a, 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 the similar kind of, oh, my God, that's, um, that's not good? Yeah, look, I think a lot of companies just baked in power costs to just the cost of running business and didn't think too, too much about it, really. Uh, but I think the combination of price rises when people go, wow, the power bill's gone up. What's the cause? But like having a pool heating, you know, you did, a lot of people didn't think about it too much after an all year. Uh, power prices went up. Everyone goes, oh, my goodness, look at the pro- look how expensive the power bill is. Who's doing that? And they realised that you really can't let the pool heater on entire year uh, unless you want to pay a fortune. So I think there's, there's that, the price pit. And I think the other thing is just clearly people have much more focused on the environment and minimising their power consumption. So those two forces, I think, have been have really helped with those that that rump of corporates and and, and IT companies who just won't let go. And, and going forward, I mean, you, there's obviously competition out there with NextDC and some of the other companies you, you mentioned. Um, where do you see uh, you guys uh, forging ahead of these uh, competitors? What's, what's, what's your advantage going forward? Obviously, customer service is one of those, but um, acquisitions or is it organic or is it in other areas as well uh, rather than just data centers? Yeah, look, we've spoken a bit about uh, data centers and telecom. Uh, probably it's worth talking about the other half of our business, which is cloud services and, and government. And that is very different to what NextDC does. Uh, so we provide private cloud um, as well as public cloud services inside our data centers. Uh, we provide cybersecurity to the federal government which, and cloud, which is also inside our data centers. So we are our, one of our own best customers and uh, that's an important part of what we do. Uh, and uh, that brings with it some significant differentiators around customer, ex- customer experience, as well as um, making sure customers aren't overcharged. So. Um- are acquisitions on the horizon or is it something you look at from time to time and you think, oh, no, maybe there's nothing out there that we can't actually replicate ourselves? Yeah, look, we've grown organically to this point. Uh, we are open-minded and looking out for opportunities. Uh, clearly, the telecom sector has less of those because it's consolidated. Uh, large data centres um, are also only a, small, a handful of players who operate in that space. So probably the opportunity for us is more in the world of cloud services. Um, there are a lot of smaller IT companies that have been going for ever, you know, anywhere from a handful of years to 30 years. Uh, these are the businesses you might whiz past in a business park on the side of a freeway somewhere. Um, they do a great job of trying to do everything for the client and tend to be a one-stop shop. Uh, and a lot of them are really struggling. It's all very, you know, sort of labour-focused. Labor Every deal's different. Uh, so we think that's an opportunity for consolidation. Probably a lot of those businesses, they are all driven around, you know, one or two or three people, sort of owner, op, owner, founder, all in one. Uh, and they are, the other challenge is every deal they've done is different. So 
um, we're trying to find ones that have done the same thing more than once um, because that's a more natural bottom to our business. Uh, I guess 2022 was kind of an interesting year from some respects because it, it was kind of towards the tail end at least there was the year of the cyber attack. We had uh, the Optus attack and we had uh, Medibank Private as well. It, was that a surprise to you? I mean, I, I guess this is your bread and butter is protecting no. the government. Look, I think the only thing that was surprised was the profile. The reality is it's been many attacks uh, the year before and since, um, and before that. Uh, what was different was the high-profile nature of it, um, the, com- the company's responses to it, the government's responses to it, and, of course, it did affect a very large number of Australians. But there have been many other attacks that have been kept under wraps. Um, sometimes they shouldn't have been, but they have been, um, and dealt with more discreetly. So this is just, Leah, I'd say what's what 2022 marked was these attacks, which have been going on for a long time, became high profile, and ordinary Australians in the mainstream media started taking interest. I think before that, there was a little bit of an attitude of, oh, well, first of all, I don't understand it, but... but but also an attitude of, oh, well, it happens all the time. It's just the, the cost of doing business or, you know, the, the risk of being, a, of being a consumer online. But I think there was a realisation that companies need to do more and the government needs to do more. Now, I know that over the years when I've been following Macquarie um, Telecom for, for many years now, um, one of the issues I've always struggled with is the liquidity in the stock. Is that is that something that frustrates you? You know, you see these big, big percentage moves on very few shares. It must be... Uh, quite frustrating and not only positive obviously but also negative uh, if an institution decides to move one way or the other is that a source of frustration yeah not so much in the last few years it was maybe maybe in the past you know there was always that 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 factor of a of a smaller cap stock and you know share movements can move it but uh since the company sort of went through, I don't know, you can, just, you can debate how, what the number was, but whether it was the 500 million mark or the $1 billion mark or you know, the one point something billion dollar mark, it's gone through that. And the company's got a 49% free float. So there's plenty of shares to buy and sell. Now, if you're a you know, major fund manager who only buys in you know, $100 million lots, then yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't have liquidity, right? But uh, what we've tended to attract is either uh, fund managers or high conviction fund managers who, who aren't trying to get in and out for large large sums, uh, or um, higher conviction um, individuals, high wealth individuals. They're typically the investors in our business, and uh, I think it suits them really well. And uh, the others can just like just play on the you know, the ASX 100 and try to see if they can beat the market, which would be interesting. The struggle for many a fund manager to beat the market, uh, as you probably know. Well, especially in the AXX 100. I mean, so well covered. <laughs> it's very hard uh, to do that. So um, clearly, uh, you know, it's been a very successful business for you guys. Looking back on the, the years since you uh, started this business with your brother, what do you think are the, the key qualities to have made this business so successful? Well, there's a few things that have gone to the mix. I mean, the first one is we're in the tech sector. So in the tech sector, it's littered with roosters that became feather dusters, uh, which means you really just got to constantly adapt. And I think we've demonstrated for a long period of time the ability to adapt. The second thing is that uh, we've we've had a a very strong uh, management team that's stuck together now for over a decade. Uh, and uh, well, not all of them in over a decade, nearly all have been. And I think that's also testament to the fact that 
to well-run business, high levels of conviction, and you get momentum. And I think the third part is we've, we've had a consistent strategy. You know, I think a lot of companies chop and change and, you know, constantly restructuring and repackaging and on and on. So while you need to adapt, you also need to keep some things true. And we think our business model is still the test of time. We put a lot of effort into it uh, back uh, ooh, seven years ago, six, seven, eight, eight years ago now. And uh, when we locked that strategy in, we announced it publicly, we've held to it for eight years. You get some real flywheel momentum when you pick a good strategy, pick a good business model and stick to it, not choppy and changing. And that's why we've had uh, the 17 consecutive halves of uh, EBITDA profit growth, because we we actually stick to things. We're not looking for for things to prop up the, the, the profit one half or one year to get through the next year. Uh, we focus on actually just driving the underlying organic growth and not trying to to uh, make things look good for a uh, a P&L. Certainly lots of uh, interviews I I read online with you. You talk about persistence uh, being one of the the overriding factors for you anyway. Uh, Is is that one of the the best qualities you think um, you need as a founder to to drive a a tech startup or whatever it was called back in the the late 90s? Because they weren't even called startups really back then. It wasn't trendy. But um, is persistence the, one of those qualities that you just have to have? Look, I think in the early days, it's completely right. Through the 90s, it was uh, it was absolutely essential. You know, we were uh, just funded by ourselves. So nowadays, it's got to have words like sweat equity and uh, bootstrappings like that. We're, we're in that camp. Uh, so in that environment, you've really got to have a mountain of persistence because there's uh, the business is inherently fragile, uh, inherently You've got a small number of people that are critical to your success, uh, including yourself. Uh, and uh, you've really got to make sure you keep that team together. Uh, you've really got to make sure you stay on, on your game yourself. So that was, and, and, and persistence is critical because you get so many disappointments and setbacks on the way. And partly because you're, 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 you're tuning your business model, uh, but partly because uh, you, you just, little things can be impactful. As you get bigger, persistence is still important, but not as important. Uh, certainly for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, we've had the critical mass that means that you know you, you can absorb some of those challenges you would have had as a small business more comfortably. doesn't mean you can't ignore them, but they still hurt, but they're not as impactful. And I think these days too, with four businesses, we've, you know, while all of them are performing strongly, you can see the last most recent accounts with all of them growing there. Profitability, you can have a situation where a particular half, particular year, one of them does slow down um, or something, some, some shock occurs and you need to uh, make sure that uh, uh, you have that redundancy. And we do. We have you know, four businesses, so if one slows down, there's still three to power through. Obviously, it's, it's a very fast-evolving world uh, in IT, the cloud, data centres, etc. You know, we've seen in the last, I guess, the last few months, the whole conversation move towards AI and you know chat GPT and all, all the all the benefits and, and downside that that could potentially bring um, are there things out there you look at and go oh that's something that I need to really be um, concerned about for our business are there threats or there changes uh, that you need to make to uh, to your business model to counter those sorts of threats yeah there's there's uh, risks everywhere in our business like every other business uh, and, we, and I think one of the good things about being public as a company is that we're alive to it. We see risk as the flip side of strategy. You know, risk is not a dirty word. Risk is a healthy word. Maybe that's the banker in me. And uh, we uh, we look for, we, we, we review risk regularly. We think about business cases in light of opportunity as well as risk. Uh, 
Uh, and that's, I think, if you have a healthy conversation about risk, I think it's much easier to manage. I think outside of the world of uh, financial services, I think risk can be a bit of a sort of a negative word. People are like, oh, you know, don't be negative. Don't be, don't be, don't look at, don't be the glass half empty person, but actually it's not. It's in fact just running a good business. Uh, and that's been healthy for us uh, and the governance aspects of being a public company. Uh, in terms of what are the risks, well, there's lots of them, there's everywhere. Um, I'd, I'd say the one I, I spend most of my time thinking about is people, uh, which is funny for a technology business, but people I think are our greatest asset uh, if they're the right people. Um, but equally, if you don't have the right people, everything becomes hard and, uh, it can, and you can miss opportunities and miss risks. So I think people is where it starts. Uh, and then I think building on that, it's really making sure we adapt. It's that conversation about as the market changes around you, how do you adapt and how do you innovate? And you can make mistakes, but making sure you don't make mistakes for too long. So looking back, I guess, to your 25-year-old self about to embark on this journey, is there any advice that you give yourself if you could wind the time machine back and say, David, you know, this is the best piece of advice I can give you starting this business? Well, I think different points on the journey, are different sorts of advice. So really early on, I think that the lack of external capital meant we, became, we, were, we, were, we had to make every post a winner, every customer, which meant every customer had to be profitable, uh, every supply contract had to be right. There was no scope to We'll work, we'll work it out work it out later let's get them on board so we definitely didn't grow as fast as we could have because we just had to make every post a winner uh, I think as we as we moved into the the float period and beyond I think that there was a challenge where you move from that founder-led small business company where everybody thinks they work for you uh, or your co-founder uh, to actually you cannot work for us you have to have some people have to work for other people uh, and then you have other layers so there was a transition piece and then I think the, the next transition after that was once you're a corporate and you've got that model level management style and all the good things of modern corporates then you actually have the reverse issue in a way, which is the founder's mentality that it's core, which is how do you maintain the mentality that got you there in the first place? And that was definitely part of our success in our current strategy was going, what was the things that made us famous? Let's rediscover those, which we hadn't lost them, but I think we'd probably lost sight of them. Things like, you know, being customer centric and the best ideas from the customer uh, rather than paying for someone to tell you where the market's going. Um, and that re-establishing that, we also re created a much more of a business unit focused organizational structure. We, we, we sort of cut back the power of central functions uh, like HR and others who were sort of sort of ossifying the organization and kept it anchored on the customers. And that, that change was super important for our success in the last uh, eight plus years so if you were um reaching out to uh, to anyone contemplating any of our members listening to this thinking oh let's um let's have a little look at macquarie telecom what what, what are the sort of three key reasons why uh, people should be uh looking at macquarie telecom as as one of their technology plays in this market well i think the first point i'd say is that for investors it is hard to get exposure to the to the cloud and cyber security sector um, data centers are where cloud lives We've got a business that sells cloud. We've got a business that sells cyber. So it's very hard to get exposure to that. Uh, so if it's important to you as an investor and you think that's where the where the the the, the, the ball's going, which I do, uh, then unless you want to, I'm obviously you can invest overseas. But if you want to invest in Australia, then I think we're one of the few stocks that gives you exposure to that. I think the second piece is if you 
like founder-led businesses, obviously I do, but if you like founder-led businesses um, where the founder's got as much at stake as you do, in fact, usually far more, uh, then, you know, we clearly fit that box. But I recognise there are other investors who who think that somehow or other having the founder involved is a problem. I don't know why, but I know there's some people who think that. Uh, and <laughs> and I think the third the third section is, all right, well, all right, well uh, is this going to stand the test of time? And I think you've got to say, well, clearly this company has to the test of time. And the last eight years have demonstrated the business model is a very effective business model. And we are about building a great company. Well, I think I think we can all agree that you have done that, that you've done a fantastic job building a great company. I, I, just one last question, David. How do, how do you relax? What, 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 what did you do to take your mind off the, the world of Macquarie Telecom? Yeah, well, I've got a family of three, so we've been uh, really busy uh, with, with that crazy uh, school run. Um, I mean, it's lots of fun, but uh, it's full, really full. Uh, so... Uh, that's been a big part of my life and still is. But uh, apart, from, apart from that, I love tennis. So I'm a, uh, I play tennis uh, a few times a week. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic sport, like a lot of sports, because uh, if you lose concentration, you get the yellow ball in your face. So you really can't, you can't think about work when you're on the court. That is, that is the great thing about sport, isn't it? You are in the moment and there is n- there's nothing else that should concern you when you've got that ball or you're about to hit that ball. It is one of the great, uh, great things about playing any sport, I guess. That's exactly. David, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really enjoyed yeah. chatting to you. I'm really grateful that you could spend some time because I know you're a very busy man. So thank you once again, and I'm sure our members are going to love hearing from you, and good luck with the business going forward. You don't need it from me because you're doing a fantastic job anyway. So thank you once again. Appreciate the good wishes. Thank you, Henry. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.